0: Hey, it's good to be with you today. I want to thank you for this, this honor. I want to thank Pastor Dan for not only giving me one week, which is always a blessing, but for giving me multiple weeks. And so I, I'm excited to go through an entire sermon with all of you and, and then go through an entire series as well. And uh, I, I'm really excited, to be honest. I'm really excited about what God has for us. I believe uh, He's laid something specific on my heart um, and I, I decided to name this series, Participation Trophies. Participation Trophies. And you'll find out why uh, in a moment. But speaking of Participation Trophies, can we uninvent those? Can we uninvent? Part- I know I'm going to step on some toes today, because I know there's some parents in the room who have kids in sports, but can we uninvent Participation Trophies? Amen. Sometimes you think, man, that would be a good invention, something to make. But I think we need to start getting in the habit of uninventing things. And participation trophies should be the, the first thing on the list. And here's why. Participation trophies were actually created by trophy companies. Think about it for a second. You're only, you're only serving 10% of your market. You only get to give trophies to 10% of, because the kids that win. You have one out of 10 teams win. So that's all you get to sell to is 10%. What about the other 90% of potential people you could sell trophies to? Well, a trophy's only for winning, so how are you gonna give a trophy to 90% of the kids who did not win? Well, let's put ourselves in that meeting for a second. How did that meeting go? How did that meeting go? They're sitting around a table, you own a trophy company, they said, look, we need to find a way to address the 90% that are not getting trophies. These are missing sales. How do we do it? And someone has the brilliant idea we should redefine what it means to win. If we redefine what it means to win, then we can give all the winners trophies. And that's how you end up with taglines like this that are actually on trophies. If you've had fun, you've won. That's what it means to win now. I made up a few of my own because I thought it was fun. Show your face and win the race. Here's another one. Touch the pedal and get the medal. (laughs) If we can redefine what it means to win, then we can give everybody trophies. And that church is what a participation trophy is. So I decided I'm going to get in on the action too because I want to make some money. So if anyone wants to become a, a ground level investor in this, you can talk to me after the service. But I decided I'm going to invent good intention trophies. Because you can give that to anybody. I mean, parents, how many times have your kids said, I, but I, I planned on making my bed. I, didn't, I know I didn't do it, but I planned on doing it. Well, we need to reward that. They had a good intention in their heart. They need a trophy for that. You thought of it, and that's what counts. Because that's what it means to win. Or if, if you're a boss and someone shows up late to work, and they said, I planned on being here on time. Well, we need to reward that. Because they planned on it. Even if they didn't follow through, they planned on it. So we need to give them a trophy. They had a good intention. And that's, that's, that's winning right there. So look, this is what some studies have said about participation trophies. So you, can, so you know that I'm not just ranting up here. This is actually what some psychologists and some doctors have uh, backed, backed up with this, this whole topic. The New York Times, they published an article in 2013 called Losing is Good for You. And in it, a psychology professor from Stanford, uh, she found that kids respond positively to to praise. They enjoy hearing that they're talented, smart, and so on. But after such praise of their innate abilities, they collapse at the first experience of difficulty. Demoralized by their failure, they say they'd rather cheat than risk failing again. So you pump up their self-esteem so much, but there's no character behind it. So when they face any sort of difficulty, they don't have what it takes to actually get through it. That's what participation trophies do. They build up the self-esteem, build up self-esteem, but they don't reinforce the character behind it so they actually can't get through difficulty and they resort to things like cheating because they would rather cheat and succeed than actually succeed the right way. Um, in In her book, The Narcissism Epidemic, Dr. Jean Twenge, she says this, in college, those who have grown up receiving endless awards typically do the requisite work and they don't see the need to do it well. They only do what's just required of them. They don't go beyond that. In the office, these same same kids that end up in the office and in the workplace, they still believe that attendance is all it takes to get a promotion. They believe that attendance is all it takes to get a promotion. Because the, the cultural norm has become that you just need to show up to succeed. You just need to show up to succeed. Now, why am I bringing all of this up? I'm not just trying to poo-poo on participation trophies, okay? But I fear that this cultural norm has seeped into the church. I fear that it's seeped into the church. And I think that we need to redefine what it means to participate. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3. And this is going to be the core text of our entire series. This is what he says in verse 10 through 11. He says, I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If Paul teaches us one thing in this verse, it's that participation is anything but what the culture tells us it is. It is hard work. Participation is hard work. It's not just about being present. It's about Christ being present in us and through us. That is what participation is. I believe Paul rolls over in his grave every time a participation trophy is is handed out at a game. Because that's not how he saw participation. It's about joining Christ in every aspect of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so, church, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we move through this series that we need to redefine what participation really looks like. And we need to come back to a a biblical mandate that Paul says participation is hard work. It's hard work. Now, I don't want to overlook the fact that today is Palm Sunday. Uh, Dan's already mentioned this a little bit, but if you don't know, Palm Sunday commemorates the Uh, Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem. Uh, This act was in part to fulfill the prophetic word given by Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9, which was written over 500 years before Jesus ever entered Jerusalem for the final time. And the prophecy says, uh, O daughter Zion, here comes your king riding on the foal of a donkey. That was the prophetic word by Zechariah. So then we go 500 years forward and we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowds and his disciples are all around him and they are shouting what we saying this morning, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So this is the moment that we are commemorating on Palm Sunday. But what I'd like to focus on today is not just the specific moment of the triumphant entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday, but I actually want to take a step back and I want to look at all the events that took place that moved Jesus towards His glorification on the cross. You see, the triumphant entry was one of a few different things that were critical pieces that needed to happen in order to get Jesus to the cross. And so I want to take a step back and I want us to look at those events. But the main point that I want you to take away today is this, that glorification does not happen by accident. It requires participation. Glorification does not happen by accident. It requires participation. In fact, it's just as likely to accidentally win a gold medal in the Olympics for competitive speed skating as it is to accidentally glorify Jesus. It doesn't happen on accident. It's just as likely to accidentally climb Mount Everest or master an instrument and record on Beyonce's new album or, husbands, finish your wife's honeydew list. It's just as likely to do those things on accident as it is to glorify Jesus on accident. It does not happen by accident. It requires effort and participation. So first, let's just take a look at what it means. Well, what is glorification? What is glorification? In John 12, verse 23, Jesus replied, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He was speaking of himself. See, Jesus viewed the cross as his glorification. Therefore, he was not moving just towards his death, but he was also moving towards his glorification. The Greek word for glorify is doxadzo, and it means to render or to esteem Glorious. In this case, Jesus was referring to the fact that He was going to be exalted to a glorious state, which was the the right hand of the Father. The Father was going to glorify Him to His right hand. He was going to put Him in His proper place. And Jesus' humility is what brought Him to the cross and what opened up the way for Him to be glorified to the right hand of the Father. Uh, One quick takeaway here, its just a little bonus for you guys is that sometimes we just need to switch up our language about a situation for it to take on a new end. Jesus sometimes told people that he was moving towards his death on the cross. But then right here he says, I'm moving towards my glorification. He was not referring to two different uh, things. They were two sides of the same coin. They were the, the same event. His death and his glorification were the same thing. How many of you know you can have a hard time with your boss at work and you could tell people I'm having a hard time with my boss at work and you would be telling the truth. But you could also tell them, uh, yeah, I'm learning how to honor God in my workplace. Two sides of the same coin. There's, the, there's what's happening and then there's the how God is involved. Yes, I'm dying on a cross. You're going to see that happen. That's the truth of what's happening. But the God side of it is that I'm going to be glorified. Yes, I'm having a hard time at work. But the God side of it is that I'm just learning new ways to honor God in the workplace. Two sides of the same coin. Maybe you're having a hard time with finances. We're not going to ignore the fact that finances are rough right now. But let's bring God into the picture. Where, where does he play into it? Oh, I'm just learning how to optimize my budgeting skills right now. I'm learning new ways to control my finances. Two sides of the same coin. We see Jesus doing that. Yeah, I'm going to die, but I'm also going to be glorified at the same time. Because that's how God is involved in this. Just a little bonus. You guys take it or leave it. Uh, let's look at I, Isaiah 43.7. Isaiah 43.7. God really simplifies why we were created right here in this verse. He says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Our chief goal in life is to glorify God. Our chief goal in life is to glorify God. The word for glory in this sense means to give the honor that is due to God. That is our chief goal goal. And if our chief goal is to glorify God, then it's important to know that Jesus' glorification was not by accident. It was not by accident. Jesus did not just go off for an evening stroll one day and just end up on the cross. And that was that. No, a lot took place in order to get Him there. And I think that's often overlooked. You see, you have two parties that are involved. You have the disciples. The disciples, they were, now they were doing this unconsciously, but they were moving Jesus towards receiving the honor that was due to him. They were making certain actions that we're going to look at that was moving him towards the cross. And then you have the religious leaders as well. They were, they were doing certain things that were actually moving Jesus towards the cross too. They were plotting to kill Jesus. They were trying to set him up. They were getting other people involved because they were moving him towards the cross as well. I got one more bonus for you today. I can't help myself here. But look, if you stay focused on glorifying Jesus, even the enemy's attempts at stopping you will become a part of the means to achieve it. How many of you know that Jesus was moving towards the cross, and the religious leaders that were trying to kill him didn't realize that their attempts at stopping him actually advanced the purpose of God? If you set your heart on glorifying Jesus, then even whatever comes against you to try to oppose you, God will use it to actually advance his purpose. Now, the disciples, the religious leaders, they were unconscious of the fact that Jesus was actually going to be glorified, they didn't realize what was coming. But our call is not to do it unconsciously. Our call is to do it consciously. Because we're on the other side of the cross. We know that Jesus is king. It's no longer a secret. So how do we do this? How do we do this? We do it through acts of preparation. There's three events that I want to focus on that prepared Jesus for his glorification. The first one was the anointing of Jesus by Mary at Bethany. The second was the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The third is the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And there's a similarity in each one of them. What is needed to glorify Jesus is always provided for. When Jesus was anointing, when he was anointed by Mary, she poured out the perfume on his feet. And the disciples and the people at the table began to criticize Mary for wasting the perfume on Jesus. And Jesus jumps to her defense and he tells them this this perfume that she poured out on my feet was always intended for this purpose. It was always intended for this purpose. What Mary needed to glorify Jesus was always in her possession. When we look at the triumphant entry, if you know the story, Jesus tells the disciples, go here. And at this place, you're going to find two donkeys tied up. Go and take those donkeys. And if the owners tell you, what are you doing with that? Tell them the Lord needs it. And they will let you go. And sure enough, if you read the scriptures, it's actually, uh, there's, there's this feeling of ease when they go and do it. Because it's exactly as Jesus said, it's going to happen but the donkeys were ready. They were at hand to glorify Jesus. And at the Passover meal, the same thing happens. His disciples ask Jesus, where are we going to observe the Passover? And he says, go into town. You'll find a man wearing, uh, uh, with, a, with a jar of water. Um, he's going to go to a specific place, follow him there, and ask them if we can use the guest bedroom. And sure enough, just as he said, it was. So we see that what is needed to glorify Jesus is always provided for. And that leads me to my first point. You will always have what is needed to glorify God. You will always have what is needed to glorify God. If we set our hearts on glorifying Jesus, we will never run short of ways and means to do so. I know some of you in this room were a part of this mission trip just a couple summers ago. I went to El Paso, Illinois, not Texas, El Paso, Illinois, And we went down there to serve the community of El Paso, but also to serve the Assemblies of God uh, church that was there. One of the main things that we did was they needed a uh, sound booth built in their sanctuary. They had kind of this uh, just simple setup with the desk and the wires were exposed and it it really wasn't safe or or a a good setup for a a sound team to work with so um, Dan reached out and just said what's one of the ways that we can love you and they said you know a sound booth would be great Um, so we went down there with the team to build the sound booth but we also went down there because we wanted to put an event on for the community on Saturday morning so we put this big event on we got jumpy houses and food and all this kind of stuff but it was very clear that our only purpose in going down there was just to serve this church and to serve that community. So we got down there and Pastor Scott, the pastor of the church in El Paso, was there. And, you know, as, as normal, we bought as much as we could to get things done. But there was things that we would, you know, come across. Oh, hey, we need this. And we didn't bring it with us. Pastor Scott, do you have that? And I, I'm not exaggerating. I probably heard Scott, Pastor Scott say this maybe 30 times, if not more. He would say, yeah, yeah, whatever you need. Yeah, 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 whatever you need. I still remember the tone and the cadence of his voice because he said it so many times. Yeah, 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 whatever you guys need. Hey, Scott, do you guys have one of these? Like? Yeah, 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 whatever you need. Can you go get this? Yeah, 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 well, whatever you need, whatever you need. What would move somebody to say, yeah, 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 whatever you need? Because he knew that we were down there to serve him and his church and his community. And that was our, our sole purpose. And so his heart response was, because you're here to serve me and my church and my community, Whatever you need to do that, you got it. Whatever you need to do that, you got it. It doesn't matter what season of life you are in. Whatever you need to glorify Jesus, if you set your heart towards it, it will be given to you. If you set your heart on glorifying Jesus, it will always be there. There will always be a song to sing, no matter what season of life you are in. There will always be a word to stand on if you set your heart on glorifying Jesus. Look, we're doing this fundraiser for the church plant with planning partners. If you put your heart on glorifying Jesus and you say, I'm putting myself on the line here to support this church. I'm putting my finances out to support this church. If you set your heart on glorifying Jesus, the means to do so will be there. When I was um, living in California, I had an interesting situation. I had seven roommates with me. And we didn't live in a small house, but it wasn't a big house either. Um, And so I had a roommate in my direct room, but then I had also six other roommates in the house. And I know this may be a surprise to some of you, but I am a huge introvert big time introvert. I really need my alone time. And so this was a shock to me when I moved out there to California to have people with me at all hours of the day. There was no such thing as alone time. If I wasn't at home, I was at work. And if I wasn't at work, I was at school with people. And if I was driving to school, I had people in my car. If I was coming back, I just there was no such thing as alone time. And, and it really started to affect my faith because I just didn't have time to... I wasn't spending time with God because I had nowhere to do it. And so finally, I started praying about it. I'm like, Lord, I just want to spend time with you, but I, I'm having a really hard time doing this. And I remember he gave me the scripture where Peter, uh, I believe it's in Acts 10, where Peter goes on the roof uh, to pray. and he, That's the, the story that unravels with Cornelius and all that stuff. But I remember he went on the roof to pray. And the Lord showed me that, that passage. And he gave me the brilliant idea to go and pray on the roof of the house. And so, I know this sounds weird, but sure enough, I went and found a chair. And I put it on the roof of the house. And there's only one way to get up there. It was the the handrail on our outside deck. You had to climb up on it and kind of contort yourself around and pull yourself up onto the roof. I didn't tell any of my roommates that I had done this. But all the time, I'd go up there to spend hours by myself w- with the Lord, just, just on the roof of the house. And I remember I'd be up there sometimes and I could hear my roommates on the deck below me. They're like, hey, is, have you guys seen Garrett? Has anyone seen Garrett? And, and I wouldn't respond. I would just sit there and listen to it all because I didn't want to blow my cover. I wanted my space to myself up there. But this is the reason why I share that story is because I set my heart on just spending time with, with Jesus and he provided and He provided. And it was creative in the way that He provided. Look, if you set your heart on glorifying God, the means to do so will always be there. I have found in my life that sometimes it's, it's difficult to glorify God, if I can be honest with you. Um, sometimes my, my prayers, they feel repetitive. Sometimes my worship feels repetitive. Sometimes my prayers can feel dry. I'm not sure if any of you relate uh, to that. And sometimes my worship can feel laborsome. It feels like I have to really, really work to, to worship. I really have to, to push through. It doesn't really come easily. But I learned an important lesson a few years ago. That's okay. That's okay. I used to really beat myself up thinking, man, it shouldn't be this way. It should, it should always be easy. It should always come easily. And So I thought something was wrong, but... There were some people that spoke in my life that said, no, that's actually, that's very normal. That's very normal. But what counts is that you continue through it. You continue through it. You stay faithful in it. And so one thing that I see played out in Scripture is that faithfulness in the ordinary will open up the door for the extraordinary. Faithfulness in the ordinary will open up the door for the extraordinary. See, this, this Passover that the disciples were preparing for to spend with Jesus, keep in mind the disciples walked with Jesus for three years. So they had, they had celebrated Passover with Jesus before. They were doing something that was, oh, this is what we do this time of the year. This is the ordinary thing that we do. Little did they know the extraordinary thing that they were going to see happen. With Jesus on the cross. You see, they stayed faithful in the ordinary things, and it opened up the door for them to see the extraordinary things of Jesus being glorified on the cross. See, sometimes prayer is difficult. Sometimes it's hard to worship or praise. Sometimes it's hard to lift your voice. But I've I've learned that it's kind of like running. It's kind of like running. During the pandemic, I got into running because I used to play basketball, and when the pandemic hit, all the gyms shut down, so I couldn't play basketball anymore, so I had to get some sort of exercise, so I resorted, I resorted to running. It wasn't, I was never on my list before that, but I can say I've actually come to enjoy running, but one thing about running that's interesting is that I'd say about 90% of the time, it's really laborsome and difficult. You set a goal that you wanna achieve and it is not fun getting to that goal. It's hard, you feel like there's cinder blocks strapped to your legs, you're like who did this to me? So you're, you know, you're running and it's just hard to do it. But then sometimes, and I don't know how this happens, sometimes you get out there and you feel like you're running on clouds. It's like glorious. And you can go way past your goal, that doesn't happen all the time, but it happens sometimes, it's this glorious moment. Now here's the first thing. Whether it's difficult or it's easy, it's no less beneficial when it's difficult. The benefit is always the same. If you run three miles, whether it's hard to do it or it's easy to do it, the benefit is always there. So let me assure you, maybe you get in your prayer closet and you're like, it's really hard to pray today. Or maybe it's really hard to worship on Sunday morning. If you push through it, the benefit is the same. The benefit is the same. God hears your prayers the same if it's difficult or if it's easy. The the, the benefit is the same. But here's the thing. If you stay faithful in the ordinary, if you stay faithful in the times that may be difficult, there's those times that are glorious. Glorious. When God shows up in worship, when He shows up in prayer, when He shows up in your car, when you're worshiping by yourself, if you stay faithful in the ordinary, He will open up the door for the extraordinary moments that we share with God. Why am I saying all of this? I need you to see that God honors your preparation for His presence. God honors your preparation for His presence I got one more thing I want to leave you with today, church. When I was studying, sometimes it's the most simple things that are the most profound things. And this may sound a little funny at first, but it'll set in a second. Jesus always shows up to a meal. Jesus always shows up to a meal. Go back through the Gospels and find one time that a meal is prepared for Jesus and He says no to it. Even with sinners even with religious leaders that didn't like him, if they prepared a place for him, Jesus showed up. Jesus would show up. Church, are you getting it? If you prepare a place for Jesus, he's going to show up. If you make preparations, he's going to bless you with his presence. He does not pass up on a meal. He doesn't pass up on communion. He shows up. He shows up in all of His glory and all of His might. Look at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. And he was the brother of Mary and Martha. And we look at John 12, which is the next chapter over. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they have this great idea. They say, let's throw a party to honor Jesus because of what He's done. Let's throw a party to honor Jesus for what he has done. And you see, it was tradition back then. This wasn't just a you know, after Sunday church, hey, let's go grab lunch. No, 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 you made preparations when you were going to have a meal like this. You sent out invitations to people. You knew what you were going to do. So they sent out invitations to Jesus and His disciples, and they said, you come. We're going to have a meal for you and your disciples, and we're going to honor you for what you have done and for who you are. And this is the moment when Mary pours out the perfume on Jesus' feet. If you make preparations, He will show up. It's called a divine setup. If you set up, it will become a divine moment. It's a divine setup. We need to get in the habit of preparing a place for our King to reside in our presence. Whether it's through your prayers, whether it's through worship, whether it's through hanging on to hope, whether it's through obedience or faithfulness, we need to get in the habit of creating a place for our King to sit in our presence. I'm going to invite the worship team to to come up right now. We're going to close in a song of worship. And I felt led to to add this, this last point on for someone in the room today. The bottle of perfume that Mary poured out on Jesus' feet, commentators believe that that bottle was likely a family heirloom that was given to her. And I don't know how old Mary was, but if that was given to her, that means that that bottle was probably sitting around for a, a good amount of time in her room, or maybe it was, it was stored away somewhere, somewhere safe so nobody could steal it because it was worth a lot of money. And maybe Mary just had it there. She never really knew what she was going to use it for until she decided to honor Jesus. When she set her heart on honoring the king, all of a sudden what she had made sense. All of a sudden the gift that she had that she never knew what the purpose was for, when she said, I'm going to honor Jesus, all of a sudden she said, I know exactly what that's for right there. I know exactly why I have that. I know exactly why that was given to me. I know exactly why I've had this all of my life. It was to honor Jesus with it. And some of you, some of you today, God's just waiting for you to say, if you will set your heart on honoring me, I got stuff that you have in your life. You don't know what it's for. For the moment you set your heart on honoring me, it'll all make sense to you. It'll all make sense to you. Church, do you hear the call today? Do you hear the call today? If we're going to lift Jesus up high, if we're going to honor Jesus with everything that we have, it's going to require something of us. It's going to require participation. We can't stand idly by and expect it just to happen. No, he's, He's counting on you. He's looking to you. He's looking to you to make a place for Him in your heart and in your life. Would you guys stand up? We're going to close in a song of worship that is so fitting for this moment right now. And after the band's done, Dan's going to give parting words, and we'll see you back again on Easter. But I just want to leave you with this. Church, you need to hear this. If you prepare a place, He's going to show up. The king wants to sit with you. He wants to sup with you and take communion with you. Will you prepare a place for him today?
1: In our God of the be born
2: I'm you're on it. to so the you okay. Yeah. on you are on it it i, I uh, am yeah, yeah, yeah. i am i am you it you it Yeah. i tell you you it. Okay, i it i am I'm going to go ahead and get my hands on my hands.